Hey listeners, we got a great episode for you today. I have my best friend Sam Clark joining us. We just got back from Las Vegas. Sam attended the World's IBJFF Jiu-Jitsu Tournament. This is a huge tournament. Only the best in the world get invited to compete. Uh, we're going to talk about Sam's journey. There's a, a lot of nuggets in this episode from the power of persistence to finding opportunity in adversity in life. So check this episode out. You're all going to love this one. Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle, medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey everybody, it's the Dr. Dad's coming at you. This is Dr. David Wardy, and I'm with my main man, Dr. Nicholas Jensen. And today's a big day for me. I have my two besties on the podcast today. Of course, I get to connect with Dr. Nick uh, every other week now, but I have my best buddy. I was thinking about this again today, brother. It's been like, it's honestly been, what do we say, like over 20 years. So Sam Clark is our guest today. Um, best friend. I've been good buddies with him. We were college roommates and we played college football together and 20 years later we're still very very close. Probably closer now than ever. This guy's like a brother to me. Um, and I wanted to bring him on today to talk about you know this this process of um, what's the best way to describe this. Sam's been on a journey for the past three years. So I just got back from Worlds and it's the Sam correct me it's the I IBJ, what's the IBJJF? IBJJF Worlds, yep, right in Las Vegas. And so this is a big tournament. If you get invited to Worlds, or you're even able to go to Worlds, you're one of the best in the world. And so Sam was able to go, and he got an opportunity to go to Vegas and compete amongst the best in the world at jujitsu. And I was very blessed that I was able to go and get to be a part of that whole experience with him. But I really wanted to dial in today. And talk about the process that he took because it's been a three-year journey but we're also going to talk about a little bit of resilience because he had something come up right before worlds that really challenged him and he really had to dig in for about six six months right bud about six months he really had to dig in so that he could actually go to worlds and compete because it could have been easy for him to just say you know what i got this injury and i'm going to put this off this year maybe shoot for it next year but we had a conversation, we talked, and he decided, let's see what we can do here. So, Sam, thank you for joining us today, buddy. Oh, my pleasure. First and foremost, just wanted to extend my appreciation and gratitude to you two gentlemen, Nick, David, um, and our, our friendship, man. Thanks for the reminder. 20 years just went by like that and still going. So definitely blessed to have you still be a part of my life in a major way. Um, so definitely want to just say Thanks and take a moment to say appreciate what you guys are doing and thank you guys for having me. Um, and yeah, small caveat, you know, it is the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. Um, they're ran by the, the Gracie family, um, big conglomerate. They have a bunch of tournaments throughout the year, you know, both uh, open as well as, you know, certain opens from different uh, territories, Dallas, you know, all over the world, really. So they have a North American tournament. Um, but yeah, this one is significant because it's, uh, jujitsu is pretty democratic. You know, you go by weight, rank and age, but this particular tournament is called master's world because it is 
Masters 1 through 8, and I think maybe even above that. But it's really a, a age group between that kind of 30-plus um, age group, and then they go by kind of your your weight and then your rank in, in the sense of belt. So um, definitely a big, big tournament. You know, it, it is an international tournament. Many people and athletes come from all over the world to, to be there for that particular weekend, Labor Day weekend that just passed. So um, it's a big deal. So definitely uh, appreciate you for the shout out. Um, I did mention earlier, Sam played college football, right? So we played at UTEP together. So Sam is an athlete. You know, he does have a background of being an athlete. And that's a big part of who he is. And he's always been active. I mean, when we were done with college football, I mean, what was the next thing for you, man? You got into running, you've CrossFit. I mean, you were running marathons. I mean, he's always been doing something is what I'm trying to get at. There's always been something he he pushes himself to train for, or get better at, or, you know, grow or evolve. Um, so let's talk about that, man. I mean, we have a history of being an athlete. You're a dad, just like me and Nick. You have a little boy. Um, you're married. You have a full-time job, right? So I really kind of want to, I want you to kind of just touch a little bit about why it's important for you to always be active in your fitness, right? But the other piece of it is what you've learned over time from the time we were college kids. So like being adults now and being a dad and right, like we have more responsibilities. We don't have as much time. So let's just talk about that first before we kind of get to the other stuff. All my life has just been about working hard, you know, working hard for what you get to put in, you know, not necessarily smart yet, but hard, just like put in all your effort. And I think that's just a product of upbringing, you know, everything was kind of not the most fortunate circumstances. And it was just instilled in me to be hard, tough and, and outwork everybody. And, you know, that's kind of a product of mom and, and dad always working. So I outworked my lucky for me, grades played a factor into getting the red shirt opportunity. So they kind of switched their scholarship. Michael Hurd ended up being gray shirt. I ended up getting the red shirt. And then through that journey, I think that's kind of when we met and put on the pounds. And I think, you know, that was the start of kind of health and fitness. You know, you're now on a D1 program. You got a strength and conditioning coach. You're now playing a particular position. You're going to play against, you know, athletes that are, you know, phenomenal in the sense of just athleticism, build, work ethic. Um, and then that's kind of ingrained in us the start of maybe a regimen. And and like you said, I wish I would have known a lot of what I know now to kind of instill into that gentleman back then in the day. But, you know, back then it was like, eat as many boiled eggs as you can. Drink a protein sheet, a protein shake right before bed. I don't know if it had so many sugars and carbs. I didn't even care about the nutritional value. It was just like pump the shake, eat these eggs. You're going to be a DT now. I was a DN going in. And I think that year I left at 210 wet, mind you, listed at 225, got the scholarship or the opportunity, did the summer workout with UTEP. And I put on 30 pounds. So I was 240 by the end of summer. This is two months after graduating. Then we go into two-day camp. Then it was like, you know, more training, more intake. Earned the scholarship. Now it's about being a retro freshman and being a part of the program, which was wake up, lift. And this is also being a freshman. You're going out to Mexico. It was right there across the border. It was easy access. But, you know, lack of sleep. Going to the weight room, probably pissed drunk from from being out till three in the morning to make a five o'clock in the morning workout. 
eat crappy, uh, go go hit it, do your sprints, go to class if you weren't tired. And that's another story in itself. You know, I almost failed out of school because I wasn't going to class because I was just getting used to the routine, getting used to the balance again. Um, but in adjustment, you know, gained 30 pounds in the summer. Through that fall season, redshirting, went into December, I gained another 25 pounds. So I was 265 by the end of the year. And it was like, it's still not enough. You know, these guys you're playing against are 300, 320, 340 linemen. And I'm this redshirt freshman, athletic, but, you know, I wish I would have chose Robert Rodriguez route and became a middle linebacker and, and, and just kind of stayed lean and mean and fast. But it was like opportunity to play. And that's all I had in mind. And I just trusted what they said, trusted what they gave us. Didn't do no research, though, none. It was just more focused on passing class and going to work your butt off. And whatever strength and conditioning coach said, Sowers or, or whoever, it was like, just do it. And then it was like, eat what you can. Because, again, scholarship athlete, yes, blessed to have the opportunity to get school paid for. You didn't get much of a check. And, and that check quickly got spent. And so what are you spending on? probably eating jack in the crack, you know, just to get some kind of protein or carb or just, you know, calories, right? And and maybe not the best sources. So, you know, by the end of that year, 265, and then getting the opportunity to potentially be a starter and play, I put on then another 20 pounds. And I think my highest I ever weighed in life was like 290. Ooh. And then crazy, right? So I yeah, I was back then too. Yeah. <laughs> No neck. <laughs> you had cornrows, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I had hair back in the day. When please. Was, uh, don't do an edit cut to my profile pic <laughs> or flash that picture. Please don't. Please don't. But, yeah, it was – it was that was the foundation of my start of, of, of really nutrition or the appreciation or just maybe just, like, the opening of understanding of what nutrition even meant. And, well, and process, of, right? Just a yep. process to follow over time now. Yep. So wasn't educated or informed the best to start. Um, so like, you know, it wasn't built on a good foundation. Yeah. And then, you know, meeting you, you know, we ate better. You know what I mean? We did our best, but you know, you, you're, that was like first time really uh, appreciating the home cooked meals, you know? Still didn't, still didn't eat well though. I mean, we ate right. better, like you said, but we still weren't eating well back then. Yeah. Time. Like, it, it helped save money because we started a budget for home meals, which was still the best we can do. Uh, um, and yeah, and I just kind of maintained that. But I think a product of of why I went into like CrossFit and all the other things, one, we just were built on that activity. You're waking up five in the morning, you're doing your lifting, you're doing your sprints, then you're going to class and you come back for meetings, then you're coming, you know, it was just the amount of activity. Uh and when you instill that from high school all the way through college, it's just kind of ingrained and you get this bio clock and you just get this, which is probably what's hard about athletes when they leave and they don't get to play at the high level. They keep all of the appetite and do none of the activity. And then that's probably where you get a lot of the health problems. And that was something that I was just cognizant of. of that's not going to be me. I can't do it like that. And I think also a product of a lot of the injuries. I had two shoulder surgeries. You know, I fractured my spinosis process, my L2 spinosis process, pulled hamstrings. And then ultimately the best, you know, prep that I had in life in the sense of health, fitness and, you know, the ability to probably be considered as a free agent. I rushed my Achilles that same year. And that was kind of 
the downfall. I think there's probably a bit of like depression that I may have not been aware of just because the way we're built. But, you know, it was a down time where it was just kind of like, now what do I do with myself? I spent all my life just trying to be this athlete. And where do I go from here? You know, and, and this was a choice of mine to make a better life for myself and family. And, you know, now it, it got taken away. Um, so there's some soul searching after that. And, you know, you, you go through school, you go through season. These were like terrible seasons. You went off, my best friend's gone. You know, my parents are, I have to see them come to games, not see me play, but still kind of be there and support, you know, broke up with the long-term girlfriend. Like a lot of it just kind of started hitting the fan. And then all that was left was to just get kind of be nine to five, you know, find that opportunity, go work. And then, but also be an athlete. Like you're, I'm still 260 now in a cast walking into the door to the, my first opportunity with Robert Wingo looking for a gig to do kind of an internship. And, you know, I look ridiculous. I don't know how to wear a suit. You know, I got this cast on my boot and I don't have any experience outside of school. And, you know, imagine just trying to interview and say, hey, you know, give me a shot. And then it was at that point of being that big, it wasn't relevant anymore. So, and you're a big part of kind of instilling in me that beginning in time. And I, I, I really have to put my hat to, to David and, and I give him my life because he's really what instilled truly the exploration of how to do self-care. You know, if, if it wasn't for him, you know, I'd be like many where it's just kind of trust your doctor, something hurts, you got an ailment. They try to diagnose it. If you're looking for something, they will. And often they're, here's a pill, here's a prescription, and you're off. And, you know, and, and then you're in this pattern of everything hurts, go to the doctor and prescribe something. Or go take the leftover ibuprofen that they gave you for said whatever. So it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, you know, David Wardy gave me the ability to educate myself or research or understand that there's other options and quite frankly your body was built to heal and 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 do what it needs to do so you know promote that and and explore that so that was the beginning of time and then you know i think it started with the the chiropractic practice you know you opened your 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 business so i want to highlight real quick No, sorry, real quick, before we keep going, I just want to highlight two things, because this is important. One, earlier you were talking about persistence, right? And so I, I, I read this thing one time, and this is so, it's such a true statement. I think people lose sight of this. It said, being smart will only get you so far. Being talented will only get you so far in life, right? But persistence is that one thing that, like, will never fail you, regardless of, if you don't have talent or you're not as smart, like if you're persistent, right? And so that's a huge one. Like I remember reading that statement. I was actually traveling and I saw it on the wall and I was like, man, so many people just give up, right? They just give up. And there's there's that persistence is just not there. And the other piece I want to talk about was, you know, you're talking about your journey and there was a huge identity crisis for you at the end of college before you had to step into the professional world, right? Because you were an athlete you identified with that as part of who you were. And then, like you said, you got injured and it was like, what am I now? Right? Like that, this, this, this path's done. And like, I got to move on to another one. And there was a big shift, right? And we were talking about that. And then 
the athlete never stopped, right? So it's like you said, like it's a, it's just a part of who you are, and so it, there's a continuation into our professional life, but it just looks different. Um, Nick, sorry, buddy, go ahead. I know you have some stuff you want to talk about. No, no, it's it's interesting here the journey of of anyone who's been an uh, been an athlete at, at varying different levels, and especially when we're young, because I think so much of our entire life has been just geared towards optimizing that state of being an athlete. And so talking about just that, that journey of having to switch gears, um, it's a tricky one because it, like you said, it's, it's everything, you know, there's a, I think there's something to be said for being or finding your confidence. Like you said, your, the persistence, uh, inside the uncertainty, because there, there is no certainty with an athlete and there's no, there's no certainty that you're going to make it through next week without having a, a sort of a career ending injury. And so I love how you talked about this transition to more like understanding about self care and like how the body can heal and have that being the, the focus because it took you into a new path and a, and a new way of seeing your body and, but also a new way to like, you know, uh, adapt to the new circumstances of life. So um, I, I think it'd be interesting to hear how, like, you know, you became a jujitsu athlete uh, relatively recently, and yet there's all these building blocks and foundation that you created over your lifetime. And so, David, I don't know if you're ready to jump into that conversation, but it's, it's so yeah. interesting to think that you're at World Championship uh, Tournament and you just started the sport like three, three, four years ago, or whatever it was. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so Sam, give us, the, give us the cliff notes of like the self care stuff started up. You d you got into running for a while. We were running marathons, right? Mm -hmm. Was that the next thing, marathons? Yeah. So somebody pointed out. Thanks for pointing out. And guys, he's a big guy. Okay. So for listeners, if you can't, I'm not that big. No, but for marathons, no. For <laughs> I'm not talking big like Sam's fat. Sam's just a tall, wide frame, solid guy. Like you, you're around him. And I've seen him at his 290, and I've seen him all the way at like 205, okay? Still a big guy, okay? He's just lean now, and he's he's more lean and muscular. But the point I was trying to make is I remember when he told me he was going to go into marathon running, and I was just like, you're crazy, dude. Like, we don't run that far. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, okay, because how, how much did you weigh when you started running? And so yeah, something you mentioned just to back up and highlight because I think it's important is persistence. This is, is part of the process, right? Yeah. Like your body had to change, and I want you to talk about that journey. And it, it's persistence. It's that, and and you also you can't appreciate the good without, if you want to call it that. I don't ever call anything bad. I think it's just part of the process, and that appreciation comes from fall of you know failing and 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 things not going your way, and and some victories don't necessarily have to feel good. That's a key to people have this mindset and this this fabrication of, of what wins are or what good and bad is or, you know, and I think that's what stops people. That's something that we probably would highlight here in this conversation is that, you know, you stop yourself and you can create whatever you want to create. And I think whether you're a godly person and have this deep faith in, in that belief, but I think, you know, people get lost in the miracle of, of things based on, oh, this incredible idea of you know five bread two fish or five fish two bread whichever it is and it fed five thousand masses but you know that could be the miracle yes if that motivates you but it could also be the miracle of in the act of sharing it brought people together to make this amazing moment so you know i think people just don't have enough 
don't give themselves enough the ability to expand on the thought of things and, and what they make them mean. And I think it's that the key there is yes, persistency, but I think a lot of it isn't here. And a lot of it, it, you can't create here if you don't have this stability and this practice and this regimen to kind of fuel the things that naturally help you create and, and manifest what your future could be. Um, so yeah, beautifully said right there, man. So I think that's a, a big key is, is we miss out a lot of that. We can't manifest things because we're not taking care of the things that help us create. And then, then we see things differently and then, or we're susceptible to what the world will manufacture society or where you live in your territory. The other thing I think is travel, get out, see the world, see people, see how cultures, the Eastern discipline versus West contrastly different. You know, they're, they really value people and moment and that inner being with each other. And love isn't, isn't what we see in the movies. You know, I know we say that a lot, but really we're charged with, you know, which is my love, uh, one of my uh, five love languages, affirmation. But a lot of our society is charged with the affirmation and the, oh, this imaginary thing versus what, what it really is about. So I think people need to check themselves and really ground themselves about how they manifest things and what, how they think about things. And it's not win or lose. It's not good or bad. It's all good. It's just your journey. And if you quit on it, you'll never see the greatness or the richness of what life can bring you. And life is, is really too short. You know, it's, it's fleeting that people just get stuck. But, you know, later on that. But again, cliff notes. So after injuring myself, Dave Wardy kind of helped me a lot. Rehab process, being disciplined with it. I got to really appreciate the practice, chiropractic practice, like getting adjustments and really making sure my 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 system was in flow. Um, and then I think we tapped into uh, optimal health systems. Yeah, um, we started doing more supplements, yep. which weren't a regular thing for you. I mean, we took yep. stuff in school, right? But that was yep. all garbage what they gave us back in the day. Exactly. Was, yeah, we started just getting you on an understanding that there's a regimen that you need to be on pretty regularly, and it can change, but, like, you're always on something, right? Yep, and then conversation. Like, you know, it's funny, naturally, organically, this kind of happened, but it was, like, having someone you could check in with, having someone that inspire each other. I remember the first couple of years, you know, he, he opened his practice. He had this office, funded it, financed it. We had the bowl in the office, which I still think you have. And it was just like, man, ready to go through the world. I had just gotten into my career and took off into another angle, got to Austin, you know, started kind of, kind of moved together in this journey together and always checked in on each other. So having somebody to check in and, and kind of be that voice of reason so to bounce off ideas and also see our struggles. You know, seeing David struggle for for a moment in time, but again, he kept persistent. I had had my moment of persistency, and we just always have each other's back to check on that, and then just continue in the health. So CrossFit was a thing. I think I was just into the fad, but for me, weight room was never the thing. Stationary people flexing, most people are talking. I wasn't a cardio guy either, so I really didn't know where I fit after football. And but I had a yearning for the level of activity. But CrossFit just kind of seemed a natural course of action. A lot of athletes transitioned that. You know, I think what it was is more the competitive nature of it. 
you know, the fact that you would do a wad or here was your time or you have a group of people all hitting it. Oh, he finished. I'm going to beat him next time. I think that was more the, the, you know, passion for it at the time. It was, it was probably less about the weights and how much I was lifting and what it made me look like. It was just more the competitive nature of it and the camaraderie in that and the, the shared, you know, uh, I guess awareness across the nation that, you know, CrossFit was everywhere and you can go access a gym anywhere. And, and David kind of tapped into it too. And he took it to, you know, he did a little stint where he was doing CrossFit kind of competition, like bringing the, the gyms together and, and, you know, seeing former athletes from UTEP opening gyms, Paul Smith, you know, doing that exploration and fitness. So that was kind of the transition of that. I got down to like 255. I like that look. I was in Austin, you know, single, starting to kind of strip the frame. And, you know, it was like, yo, this is a plus. It's kind of hitting all points. I feel good, look good. And I'm getting my competitive spirit, you know, exercised. Um, but after time, we all discovered you're getting older. It's just not conducive to the body, you know. Yeah. And, and why are you going to want to break down? And and then what he, David instilled in me was just this this vision of don't worry about this moment. You know, you're, you're kind of just like your bank account, just like your financial situation. You're, you're, you want to build a health of wealth that is going to sustain you. So when it really time to cash in, you're going to be in a good position. That investment in what you're doing now is what's going to extend your life, sustain your life, make you feel good. Don't look like your dad or look like some of your homies. When you go to your 20th reunion, they look like they're 80. You know what I mean? We're 40 or they've died already. or They've picked up Corona and, you know, you know, all of it. So COVID and all this stuff was, was hidden. So really kind of after that, I was like, you know, what can I do that's not so stressful in the body? but still benefited me and gave me some daily activity that I could commit to. But still, I always had this thing of like, I need to do something bigger. I need to push, like, give me a reason. Like, I can't just go and run every day. There's no reason to run. Then why am I going to run for if, if I'm not doing a competition or something competitive? So, yeah, I brought it up to them. I was like, man, you know, marathons, that's a big deal. You know, Ironman, marathons, tri triathlons. I did a, a relay for a triathlon. and then. It just came like, man, I'm not, I can't afford the bike. I, I don't like the swim. But running, you can do anywhere. So in this job, fortunate for me, it was kind of fueled both by doing something that was going to give me a, a kind of a North Star to keep hitting every year, keep me accountable, which, you know, you can't cheat a marathon. That was the thing. If you're not running, you're going to, it's going to be a disaster. That experience is going to be, and it's probably what makes people stop not a good enough preparation and then you get hurt you hurt something it feels bad and then you're off so and then like for me my boss um, Ben Granados is an avid runner he's run like 26 marathons like in a row um so it was just before Elias my son was being born that I was like you know I'm gonna do I'm gonna do marathons and then maybe one day he'll run with me like you know now we're creating the vision of like how you want your family and, you know, how to be the example, not just be speaking to you should play this, you should do that. I did this. I, just like being an example of, of what that could look like. So I had created, let me let me do marathons. Plus, it was a feat that was like 1% of the world, I, I think, or something like that. Some weird stat that like 1% or 2% of people have run a marathon. 
I had no idea what I was doing or getting into. And that's usually me, just jump into it and, and commit. Um, so yeah, I built it up. I, I talked to David like, what's the supplement, you know, what supplement regimen do I need to do to support me? Because I was like 220 when I ran this marathon. And then he was like, okay, do this, do that. We kind of dialed things. We, we did you can continue with optimal health systems. Um, so we just like played around against getting better hydrated. And at this time I wasn't even doing amino. So this was all just you can clean diet, carb up and run, 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 run. And I think that's part of maybe where the meniscus may have, which we'll fast forward in a bit. But I think some of that wear and tear and it was just not conducive. And so after like my fifth marathon, I was like, man, I really got to do something else because it was just really challenging to balance work, life, wife, kid. And it was just not conducive to be like, okay, the end of the week has to be two long runs. I'm going to do a half marathon on Saturday. And then I got to wake up and do another eight on Sunday. That's like two and a half hours of your time. That's like three hours of your time. Um, and you, in some places you had to go because we got a lot of hills here in Santa Cruz. And it was just taking too much time for family. And it was like, who am I doing this for? That, which is getting kind of selfish when you start to kind of wrap your head around of the balance of, of things. And so it was just like, okay, now it's on to some, some next phase of things. Like what, what else could I explore? And that's part of it. It was just like being adaptable, you know, not so intent on, I have this vision for this thing without having the vision that this thing can evolve. This thing can, you can move into another path and, and being considerate of, of who your time and energy is, is, is what's worth it. You know, where that investment of time should be and then balance and you can find a solution. So I think that was part of the constant evolution, constant having the ability to adapt. So after marathon, one of them pulled a hamstring, didn't finish. So I had to kind of have that comeback just to finish strong. And I think my best one was four hours and 40 minutes. And I was like 210. But then after that, I was like, it's not going to get much faster. And no, man, this is just tearing me up. And I lost a lot of the, the muscle, you know what I mean? Like, it started to have diminishing returns. And that was something that then David discovered again. He's like, okay, all this work, you know, quote, unquote, on paper sounds great, but you're not really recovering like you need to. You're probably hitting these these diminishing returns and you're plateauing or even, you know, declining in some regard. So we got to kind of find that balance. And so after that, I was like, okay, do shorter runs and then just do kind of hit workouts. And then that was it. But then there was no, nothing to play up to. Like what's, is there a hit competition? You know, is there a short run thing? Nothing. So it was just kind of like a little bit of a lull, but then we started tapping into kind of body hat stuff. And I think from that point on, COVID hit and then it was like what are we going to all do like what do I need to do how do I stay healthy I didn't take all the vaccinations I did one because it was a requirement for travel um funny story about COVID we were actually getting got our visas to go do a business trip in Wuhan which was like ground zero and so unfortunately <laughs> we didn't go and so I knew about COVID before it like actually came to the states and everybody started to kind of hype and, and, and get a, a bit of the panic uh, around it. So we missed that trip. 
But yeah, coming out of that, it was just, you know, me and David, we just didn't stop living. The idea of COVID, people staying in their homes, no more school, you know, working from home and all this and that. It, it just kind of, it didn't sit well with us. And maybe at the time people thought I was a little careless. But to me, you know, careless would be leaving my son who was just born, 2017, two years later, he's three years old, getting into that stage of social and, you know, time to explore and, and see the world and discover people and, and energy. and it just didn't sit well that we were going to be stuck in a home. So it was at that stage. I had always a fascination of martial arts when I was young. Like, say, that, that kind of three to seven years old, you grow up with Bruce Lee moves and stuff. But it was this idea that if I was going to get my son involved in something, I didn't want him to play football just because of my personal experience and head trauma, contact, just, you know, if he's passionate about it, he wants to do it, he can choose whatever he wants to. I'll, I'll support him all the way. However, I didn't want him to be stuck with that possibility. I wanted to open up his exploration to travel through all of it. But at that time, no one was playing no contact sports. Nobody was organizing any kind of opportunity. So long story short, there's this idea of like, hey, what is the most practical and would be the most meaningful way to start his journey in athleticism or some discipline. And what could that look like? And I just was like, it was jujitsu. So I discovered jujitsu really because I got my son into it. And he actually started before me. So sometimes he brags and is like, I've done it longer than you, Dad. I know more than you. So I'm like, all good. But uh, the funny enough, our professor, who is a Gracie Baja, um, practitioner, did world championships, you know, it was kind of one of the, I guess, the founding fathers, let's say, of California that kind of brought that surge and now it's, you know, world renowned and, and growing ever more popular. Um, he had a gym nearby. Um, so we were like, yo, let's try this. But because of COVID, we had to do it through Zoom. So believe it or not, our first experience of jujitsu practice was just like this. He'd show a move, explain it on the screen. And we'd be in our garage and I'd be trying to help Elias figure out three years old. And, you know, think of the attention span. He's probably got like five minutes of interest and the rest is like death, jumping around, <laughs> messing around, not even involved. And then, you know, we did that for a good two to three months. And fortunate for us, whether this is on health code or not, you know, that small group that was on Zoom, he was like, I'm going to invite you to the gym if you guys are okay with it. Because the only way to learn is to learn. But he he was like us. It's like, well, if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. But to me, it's like another cold or take care of yourself and we'll figure it out. But parents were like, we could get down on that. And they wanted to because of the idea of being stuck at home. There was no activity. These kids weren't playing with nobody, talking to nobody but their parents. So it was more of a Yo, you know, we'll do whatever we need to. And then we got into the gym and it was kind of like this private session, closed doors, not not publicized. And then he kind of got his first six months in. And right after the his sixth month, I was kind of like, man, I'm, I'm a dad. You know, you get involved, you get excited, you start kind of picking up things. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, give him your effort. Let's go. Come on. Do this. Do that. And after a while, I was like, I sound silly. I'm over here coaching in the background, telling them to do things, and I haven't done it. So then it was like, all right, 
guess this is the next one, next thing. And then I just jumped in. And then that's the beginning three years ago. Actually, three years ago from that tournament day was my third year. And in that beginning of August, that's what it took. It was just like, okay. And this is largely, I don't know what motivates everyone, but family, you know, is probably my the, the most priceless, meaningful asset that I have. You know, my son, my wife, that's the drive, that's the motivation. So it just kind of started to build this idea of, hey, what can we experience together? And, or if I'm going to be, you know, rather than me trying to tell him, you know, you hear that saying all the time about, you know, what you say to your kids, it's often what you, what are you doing, your actions. So the best lesson in the course of action for me was, all right, I'm going to get involved by my actions. And rather than me trying to tell him every day, yes, you're going to mentor your kids and do all that. But the most valuable things he's ever picked up and learned is from seeing it. So then it became very important to not try to be right, just be an example. You know, whatever that needs to be, you show up, you do it in your actions, and that's where he's picking it up. So that was kind of my entry into jiu-jitsu. And I thought it was going to be this, like, one to two days a week, learn some grappling moves, cool. I also was like, I'm 40 years old. What am I doing? Trying to, you know, invert and wrap my legs around people's heads. And I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, outside of just the general knowledge, but then the community, the the it hit all the points again. It was again something to be competitive with your community. You can go as hard as you want. You can also train as efficiently as you want. Um, you know, then it was my son's doing it. I can kind of grow into this with him. And then it was a, a sport that truly you can do in longevity. There's dudes six years old whooping boys' butts. It didn't matter what size you were. It didn't matter, you know, how many years you had, how strong you were. It just offers so many pathways of exploration in the in the art itself that I fell in love with it. And then it became the passion. And then that's what kind of ignited everything after that. It was like, well, cool. You know, fits the schedule. Um, you know, there's a lot of lessons in martial arts, I think, and just sports in general. But in this discipline of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's a lot of things about being humble. It's a lot of things about, you know, it's not win or lose. There's this chess of the body, you know. So it really, like, clicked a lot of things in the sense of mental space, you know, you know, uh, honor and discipline, and then ultimately self-defense. And then it was this idea of, like, hey, you know, I could actually stand my ground in confidence. It gave me this kind of boosting mentality of like you can be dangerous and you should be but you don't have to act on that you know that's what makes you dangerous the ability to have control and then you know and i think that's something that's always sprung out uh i did landmark and i think that's kind of a genesis of your existence there's this practice of like what are three moments when you were like a toddler and you can remember that far back then your kind of teens and then your early kind of, let's say, college adult life. Now I think, and then it's those three moments that are also your strengths, but they're also, there's a B side to that strength. And I think that's always kind of followed me through life um, in the sense of like, you know, I got molested when I was a kid, um, around three to five years old by my half brother. <clears throat> and then that kind of created this, this ability to have to be in control, you know, 
if you're not in control, you're not safe. So there was like this A to B side of control. You're always in the control. You can go in the room, control your emotions, control your state of being, maintain. But then also being in control can have a negative effect, you know, being over in too much control, not relinquishing anything. And then it kind of puts you in this box to never discover or give room for a loved one to have a voice with you, you know. And then there's this teen age where I was getting bullied. You know, I wasn't the biggest kid. I was mixed, you know, in a predominantly black and, and Hispanic school. And I was like Filipino Panamanian. And they're like, what are you, Japanese? So with the Asians, I'm too black. With the blacks, I'm too Asian. Mexicans, I wasn't even close. So I didn't really fit in. So it was like a little identity crisis of like, so I had to be a jokester and, you know, find my way in, never really feeling comfortable. And so it created that, I need to be a part of a group that's tough. So that's probably where sports came into play. Be a part of a group, you know, that's going to work out. You can, you could be a part of this group and no one's going to mess with you. So be tough. Um, and then probably career wise, the the ability to outwork and and have to do more that desperation of it's never going to be enough probably came when I ruptured my Achilles because then it was like what I thought was that's the that's where the journey's going it's guaranteed all I got to do is keep playing bam you get hurt and then you're like what the what do I do now so it gave all three of those are some vulnerable moments that created strength in myself but also created a a balance of you got to be respectful to both sides. And I think jujitsu helps you kind of understand that, you know, accept that. There's a lot of jujitsu is big on acceptance. You're going to accept the bad position. It's also being in bad positions is then being in control of your emotions, then find the appropriate opportunity to find your way out of it. So there's just so many like life tenants in, in the art itself that held high value that kind of, maintain this 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 passion for it and then ultimately the competitive spirits in there and then i talked to dave again it's like dave you know i'm doing this thing he's like how many times you're training I'm like five to six it's like what are you and are you sleeping you know what are you supplementing with you know you can't play at that high level and then expect your daily life and routine to kind of operate optimally so i started seeing some diminishing returns after my first year although i was advancing and busting, you know, doing well, you know, moving really quickly through it, really grasping the art of it. But then like the second year, things started to kind of happen. Like the body started falling apart, wasn't sleeping. I was stressed, you know, I was getting that dip in the middle of the day. So then it was just being very more mindful of, of my, my existence and really like being so clean to really Sorry. tap into how things feel. Hold on. I want you to say bye to Nick because he's got to bounce. We're oh. going to keep recording. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, my man. What you're sharing is so important. I was just saying that I really hope that I'm going to bounce, but keep going. And and if you could share some more on some of like you shared on the positions and, and the stress of being in the moment and how that correlates to, to those life lessons. I think that's so helpful for listeners to, to really understand that. Because I have a few yeah. buddies that are doing jujitsu. And they, they share similar stuff. There's something about the experience of being in on the mat with other other men or other other people. Uh, I mean, because women too. And yeah. and there's a very similar sharing that that you just got into that I think is really important for people to appreciate. So, uh, 
but I love love that you guys are connected. Uh, I love what you're sharing. Uh, you just blessed the, the, the listeners in so many different ways today, and hope we get a chance to meet in person. I just I'll just Absolutely. Avoid, avoid the headlocks and the necklocks and all those. Things. No, none of that. None <laughs> of that. No, well, I wouldn't sure. mind rolling with you, man. But I just uh, you're gonna have to show me some moves so I can actually. Absolutely. Yeah, That's I'll what it's all about. The sharing. Uh, sharing. All right, all right. Take care. Okay. David, see you tomorrow. Love you, bro. See you tomorrow. So let's expand on this real quick, bud. So, I mean, like Nick was saying, martial arts is beyond the physical. It has taught you a lot of life lessons. And really, you know, what you were describing about, you know, getting in these tough positions on the mat, you know, and feeling like you're losing control or, you know, you're beat, you know, because you're on your back. Then understanding that there's opportunity there and, and you're not necessarily beat. And it's interesting that you brought that up because you've experienced that in life. I don't know how many times we all have. And it's interesting how people handle those types of situations, right? Like some people completely fold mm-hmm. when there's resistance in life or they're hit with something big, like some of the things you've described in your life. And it affects us all in one way or another. And how that is going to affect your journey, I think, is a little different for everybody. But the reality is, is like, like you're saying, this persistence piece of just moving forward is is kind of the solution to all that, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, life's going to hit you. It's going to knock you down sometimes. You're going to get hit with stuff. But you just got to keep going, man. And, like, you know, I'm listening to your journey, and, like, you've been hit with so many things in life and had so many times where you had to find that next thing or it was time to level up and you found awareness in that space with whatever that was, like you're saying, you don't see it as bad, but you found awareness in that type of energy that growth and evolution was needed. And it's that persistence that gets you the growth and evolution, but you're learning the lessons as you're moving along, right? So I love that piece. And then let's talk about in that fact of learning these lessons, because part of your process, you've had to over the years really dissect it and say, okay, well, there's a better way to do this, right? Like I've been doing it this way. It's given me this result. Now let's evolve it or grow it and let's see what that does. And we've done this over the years, I mean, for 20 years. So you were overtraining in jiu-jitsu, right? And you realized you were overtraining because your body started to feel it going into year two, roughly, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so wh- what happened then? I mean, wh- where were we at? And we switched gears? Did we did we back off? We were training less? Like, what did so, you I'd say first year, it was all the magic. You know, taking all that I've built, which is also a thing. A lot of the ingredients of all those experiences allow this experience to become what it was. The CrossFit training, the football, you know, size, strength, the CrossFit, the repetition, the quick twitch, you know, moving weight, body, full body, you know, in a way. Uh, The running, the stamina, the breathing, you know. So it was kind of funny that first year was probably you know i don't not say by chance but having all of that in the sense of foundation set me up to be a really good position to train like to to be a jiu-jitsu practitioner in that regard because it, it kind of put all the pieces together you're, you're moving weight you're using your full body you know my breath was great because I ran marathons, so I could really carry the frame. And it actually was a little less, you know. Being on the mat was a lot, lot uh, 
easier, let's just say, because I'm not having to run miles and nor am I having to do a wide. It was just kind of the right balance of things. So first year was kind of like got my blue belt in eight months. You know, I was training five to six times a day because I just loved it. Was getting in and naturally just the athleticism with no refinement was was helping me overcome things. And that's the thing in jujitsu. You could be a white belt, but if you're like 200 pounds and then you got a purple belt that's like 160, in a way, you you go up and he goes down. And that kind of, you know, naturally averages things out to make you guys probably more even because he has to handle your weight and strength while you got to handle his technique. So that's what I loved about it, too. No, there was never, let's just say, uh, unfair advantage for anybody. Anybody can train with any size, any weight, any age. And that was my love for it was that, oh, I could come in here and do these things with these many people and over time. And then I started learning how to practice different. First, I was going in hard, smashing and really trying to use the strength of wrestling overpower. And then in time, you realize that none of that's actually necessary. There's a, the, the art itself is the path of least resistance and being a high handle, high pressure situations and escape so that that in sense foundation is what enlightened me and put everything that we've learned and discussed and and kind of put life and practice together in a discipline and that's what kind of ignited things but then in the second year it was probably the lack of supplementation because i truly ignored anything strength you know so coming off a marathon probably diminished and gave me some atrophy and some of the muscle structure. And, and I didn't use it to that level in the sense of running because it was just a, a single motion, a, a, let's say a, a stride. But then in jiu-jitsu, you're, you're using, you're pulling, you're pushing, you're, you're bridging, you're using your core. And I think a lot of that lack of stability is where kind of the wear and tear started to probably compound and, and develop more. So in that second year, same amount of days, same practice, but I wasn't supplementing. I wasn't, and you know, my sleep was horrible. Yeah. You know, I'd do maybe four to five hours a day. Um, and then I'd be working 14, 16 hours a day, you know? And then it was just on, on, on all the time. And then, you know, that I think over time and that next year kind of gave me a little bit of the blues, although I was competing and having success. And finding my way through it, I just wasn't supplementing the body and helping it recover to play at the level that I somehow, you know, had a, a, a maybe an off viewpoint. Like to me, it was like, oh, this is just every day and this is fine. I love it. And that's what I think maybe fueled the practice of it. But I needed to generate the logic and the practice, being more practical about, hey, you are doing it this much. You, it may feel normal to you, but if you look on paper, you need to really, you know, come to terms with the amount of output that you're putting and the amount of wear and tear or even, you know, output just in the sense of what you're demanding of your body. And you can get like this for a time, but then it kind of reminded me the same as with the marathon running. There's a point where you're pushing so much and if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to get diminished returns. So naturally, with both lack of uh, technique as well as lack of taking care of the body, uh, I got in this triangle position hold 
where I was holding my leg across the back of someone. It's like triangle. You, you, people look it up, they, they can see the position, but you're supposed to be at a more of a perpendicular angle versus head on. And I was head on and I was holding so tight on the knee and also wrapping around the gentleman's head. I was training with when he opened up the knee, it made this ripple sound like so much. So maybe the adrenaline and, and being all warm, it rippled. It didn't hurt, but it was loud enough where he's like, did I rip your pants? And I was like, nah, it was my knee. I was like, but, eh, you know, it feels fine. And then it, it kind of was stiff for a week, but then, you know, you keep going because that's jujitsu too. You, you, you lose a limb or you, you have to find another way to practice. And there's so many routes in jujitsu. That's another reason why people love it. It's like, oh, I hurt my wrist, but I can play with this. Or this knee now hurting. Now I shouldn't go in that position, but there's another position. So there's all these routes to travel to maintain your practice, um, which I think is something why people appreciate and have the longevity in it. And, uh, and, and then that injury happened. And I think it was like six to eight months. It just started getting worse. But in that six to eight months, I wasn't supplementing. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have aminos in the system, you know, as a, as a dietary portion of my regimen, you know, I was maybe doing a whole vitamin, like kind of one of those whole vitamins a day, every now and then muscle RX and OptiNitric. And I wasn't lifting any weights or kettlebells or hits doing none of that foundation. So I think that was probably the biggest lesson in reality, which is, hey, again, another dip in a, a adverse moment, but turn it into a victory because then it kind of reminds you like through the tragedy you have the fortunate ability to now improve on that. Fix it. Take the responsibility of it. Be accountable for it. And I had to be accountable with, I wasn't taking care of myself. And you would remind me too, hey man, let's be real. You're doing this five to six times a day. People don't do that on a normal basis, Sam. And you're competing in tournaments. And you're at this age. You know, let's come to terms with some things. And if you're going to continue to do that, and that's your choice, then do the appropriate you know, things to take care of yourself. And I think that's when it became, okay, we're going to do aminos, electrolytes. We're going to drink more water. We're going to get some sleep because that's ultimately where I'm recovering. Um, you know, give yourself recovery days. Don't go so many in a row. You know, find that balance of time. And that's kind of then the adjustment kind of came by way of both your voice, but also by something happening, you know, this tragic moment. And I say tragic, it's not life-threatening, but the idea of like, yeah, I had to come to terms, man. It was kind of depressing. You had to sit out for a couple of weeks. I wasn't working out. The mind starts to play on you a little bit, weigh on you from being this high level output and, and practice to then being on your butt. And then you start kind of getting a little bit of the cuckoo in here, right? And then, you know, on top of it, it was like, man, I was playing so strong. This game was so strong. This way I was defeating people was, I was, you know, getting joy of that. But now I had to be humble because now I'm getting beat because I can't do that move anymore. Or I hadn't trained enough on the other side to be familiar with it. So it just opened new pathways, which blessing because if you continue to be persistent, you don't give up on that moment. It becomes even something greater than you could have imagined by way of just being committed to this process. You got hurt. Now you got to do yourself, do yourself a favor, get right. Now I'm learning about that injury and learning about some of the practice. 
opened up some exploration or research on alternatives. I didn't go under the knife. Um, I explored PRP. I did the PRP injection. So that's probably another thing. Do your research. Get a second opinion. You know, get out there and understand the system a bit. You know, although our health system has some positives, the reality we're far behind in a lot of practice and things that are just baked in for greed and money and not in your best interest. So take the opportunity to invest in yourself and invest in educating yourself or finding a group or a source to help you educate yourself to just open up your mind on other ways to utilize your body and, and, and empower it to do what it's meant to do and, you know, and trust the process and, and take your time, be patient. So I think after the injury and then it started to click pop, you know, a bit of a dark time, had to pull back on practice, you know, I was oh. well into my blue belt then. Or that was just what? Was. That was in the was that the fall or was that the beginning of the year? When it was there? year two. It happened the fall. It was in like the a fall. Year, okay. a, year yeah. happened. a year happened. I got my blue belt eight months, and then maybe two months after that, three months after that, busted my knee. Okay. But it was a weird one. It was kind of like a ripple effect. Oh, what was that? Okay, maybe there was some joints and cartilage, but more popping maybe but not what you would think it is and then continue to train but continue to train at the same you know regimen and same way um and then when it started popping and clicking is when i hit you up and said man this is not getting right but that was uh, was that the beginning of this year or the end of last year it was the beginning of this year Okay, so yeah, so we had like eight months, right? Well, okay. that's when the start of like, man, something's not right. Uh, yeah, and so then I'd say summer is when it was after a couple of turnings. Okay, it was that right. summer I was like, yo, that's right. I don't know if I'm going to make this World Masters tournament, and it's getting worse. Well, let's talk about that. So Sam was aware he had a knee issue, and he was still training. He was still doing his thing. And then, it, like he said, he was getting it worse. So he reached out to me. We, we started talking about, you know, needing to change the process. So you changed that process pretty much from the beginning of the year all the way to Worlds. But even in that time period, you had to go, you had what, one more tournament? Yeah, I had. Yeah, and then you had. two tournaments. Two tournaments in the mm -hmm. same year still. So he still had two tournaments he had to go and do well in to get to Worlds. And then we still didn't know if Worlds was even going to be a thing. because Yeah, because I actually sat out one tournament that I should have done before the Worlds, but I sat out because it was it, I had a setback. Right. Uh, I, I re-injured it, and it locked up a little longer than, than I was comfortable with. And then it was really loose and unstable, and then it just became like problematic. Every movement in jiu-jitsu started to kind of stress it or impacted in some way where it was like clicking or st sticking and being too loose. And I was just, I wasn't able to kind of be in full practice, even so much. So my, my professor was like, Hey, if this is the way you're going to, you're, you're practicing. I don't know if you're going to be ultimately ready because people are going to bring their best and you're really functioning at like a, a handicap level that's noticeable. So, it was a little discouraging even hearing from him. 
and he's all about like push through, but you know, being on the mat, you can't hide a whole lot. And then it, it became that. So then I'd say I did the tournament and then I did one where I was feeling a little better, where it was like healed up, not as stiff. And I could remember you're helping me do stretches and I could get back into close guard and posture up with no problem, but not enough to put compression on it. So I, I, I had to play very safe, like super safe. But we had a plan, right? I mean, it was yeah. like, okay, let's not stress it. You need to. You talked about getting into your positions on the mat and still working more on the mental game. Mm-hmm. You were going about half speed when you were training as far as the sparring. But you were really focusing on what? We decided, okay, we need to focus on strength, stability, mobility. We need to work on the knee, the hips, the core. Like, let's, let's support this. You got PRP. You started doing peptides. Uh, what else were we doing? You you got some other therapies done. You were seeing yep. chiropractor. I did chiropractor. I did laser. Physical therapist was doing soft tissue. I mean, yeah. Sam started really uh, before Worlds. He really had to buckle down. He understood that. And he started getting care pretty much every week. I mm-hmm. think at that point he was seeing practitioners and just really working on his body. And it was one of those things where like, he just, I was, you know, I remember you coming to me and being like, oh, this one guy at my at my gym just dropped out of Worlds. He's not going to go. Some other guy got injured. And we were talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. And Sam never gave me this hint of like, oh, I'm just going to throw in the towel, man. It's probably not a good idea. Like his knee started to do better as we approached Worlds. Like it went from that bad place to it started getting more stable. Your pain scale started coming down. You felt more confident, right? Um, and you started to see, okay, yeah, like let's let's go, out, let's let's give it a try. I think I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. So take us to Worlds, man. So we're so now we're at Worlds. Oh. We had to really change that process to get ready. PRP was kind of the start of that. Yeah, and I mean, you you went injured into into this tournament. That's the big yep. thing I want the listeners to hear. I mean, he had an injury; he wasn't hurt. He actually tore his meniscus. So I mean, there was an actual injury there. We were addressing it, and then he went into full competition against the, the, these guys. Were, I mean, I was there. These guys were ridiculous, man. I mean, some of those guys, I was looking at them like, holy shit. Like, um, yes. but, it's, but it's kind of like you said, right? It's not about strength. It's it's really about that headspace. Mm-hmm. So and that's, that's the plus. I think after PRP, it was still in question because even for the doctor, he's like, you're doing this. And I'd say he was like, man, four to six weeks, if that, to get into regular exercise. And then I don't even want you sparring till 90 days. And 90 days was the day of the tournament. So I was like, damn, this might not time out right. So this is, it was easy enough to just take that as the, the reason and say, okay, doctor said 90 days, guys, just can't do it. But I had been working so hard and had this, I want to do it the year before even. And, and I had this goal, like I want to do three belts in three years. You know, that's pretty, you know, that's a, it's very rare, you know, but it's possible. And part of that possibility is because if you're competing at that level and you beat all the blue belts, it's just natural. How can they deny you the, you know, validation that you are a purple belt? But, 
that was in the back of my head. But the bigger goal was like, you know what? One, it just would be due to pr- sitting on my ass would not help. And part of jujitsu and, and practice is, you know, finding a way, you know, resilience, discipline, but technique. And here, like, just go do it to go not prove anything to anyone. I didn't tell a whole lot of people at that point. I wasn't pumping it to nobody. It was just kind of an old personal. If you show up and get on that mat, that's a win for yourself. And do the best you can do from utilizing technique and being smart. And then, so four to six weeks, I did the three days off. Then, and I just took it day to day, one week at a time. And really trust the system and really be perfect about the regimen, the recovery. And then it taught me something about training. I didn't have to go hard. I could still effectively train and, and, and use the discipline and use technique without having to overexert, which was a whole nother endeavor in itself. Like, man, you know, I'm learning these new positions. It's actually opening up my game. Although there's some position that I just couldn't do and had to accept failure. But it wasn't ever failure because it's always 50-50 in jiu-jitsu. They get this side, you can get this side. He does this move, there's an escape. I do an escape, there's a counter. So there's just this idea of it started to really open up my, my headspace of, of truly appreciating technique and the possibilities and the ability to kind of navigate through it all. So then it was like, wow, okay, I'm not getting all the roles I can at that high level, but I certainly getting the value from roles. I was getting the, a bit more of the efficiency from the role. Um, so then it, it went to two weeks, then I was bending flexing already doing some body weight kind of stuff and then that's truly when it turned up to do more body weight doing my my dynamic lunges doing goblet squats get into horse stance hollow pose hangs core exercises and just really building it up one day at a time you know recovery drinking my aminos religiously you know hitting the peptide then it opened up researching other peptides. Like, what's a continuation once this treatment's done? What can I continue to supplement that might help promote more healing? Um, yes, no one can compare to David Wardy in the sense of practice and, and you know, theory um, and, and what he offers. But I also had to, got to get out of my own way of, but it's better than nothing. So I had to utilize whatever I can obtain here to kind of help in the process and if i continue to hold this story which i still have i never get the treatment done so yeah not the best chiropractor but he's a chiropractor he's giving me adjustments laser therapy cool it's the only resource he has it was affordable do it uh research some peptides ran it by a source uh of, of knowledge warty and then you gave me the 411 on this yes this no check out this one got on that as a continuation from the injections that the doc added to the treatment. Um, then that religiously just building up from body weight to then kettlebell to then get into a place of strength. And then it was a, a bit of a experiment experimentation and in, in on the mat of like, Ooh, that's not feeling good. So I better not do that move and really getting self-aware of position and feeling and like I never tuned in as much. Oh, I also stopped smoking. Um, I used to be an avid uh, 
you know, cannabis smoker, which, you know, no, 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 nothing against it, but it's probably the opportune time just to take a break. Um, but yeah, cut that out. And then it was really being self-aware. I really was tuned in to, I don't know, neurosystem. Like I could feel the tip of my toenail all the way up at the top of my head and really kind of see whatever I ingested and whatever supplementation and, and the ability to, to work out. I could really tune in and be self-aware. So when I was in motion on the mat, it wasn't just the thrust and it was like, oh, the placement of things. Like, you know, like the best example I could give you is when they tell you to lift up heavy objects, don't lift it with your back. You tune in, now you're lifting it with your legs and you're connecting and then, oh, then you get a better lift. That's the way I had to start approaching my practice on the mat. It couldn't just be strength and natural ability and athleticism to get by. It was more methodical. It was more thought through in, in, the, in the, the motion of the battle, which is a whole other, I mean, strength. It helped my mental, bar none, like, I feel like that's what soldiers do. You know, real people who go fighting wars, that ability to kind of be methodical and locked in and aware, surrounded, aware of your physical state to control it and slow the speed down. And be able to kind of really travel amongst the body and find success. So then it was like, okay, that's positive. So you and then found, I well, but I mean, you're, you're talking about all these gifts that were found from adversity, man. Mm-hmm. Like you were given adversity, you could have quit multiple times, not just once. I mean, we're talking about probably four or five times you could have just said, this isn't going to happen this year. But you kept learning these lessons and you kept growing and i and i i didn't even know some of this stuff buddy that you're sharing me right now and i'm just thinking because i was there when you competed all of everything you're describing got you ready to compete it made you better probably than you would have been if you hadn't had good to go through this process before worlds i honestly would and i don't want to say that you may you may not have performed as well because you didn't find that awareness you didn't have to do these things you know what i mean so it's interesting to hear i mean like even the body awareness the way you're describing i can totally i can uh totally feel you on that because i've had injuries before and when any athlete that's had an injury knows that like when you're trying to still train when you're injured the awareness of your body is through the roof you can feel everything because Mm -hmm. you're trying to baby what hurts and you're trying Mm -hmm. to move certain ways and so I can see how that translates to the mat very much so with jujitsu, man. Yep. It made me more methodical, maybe be more efficient. It made me really focus on the placement of things and the positioning of things. Which if I was a hundred percent, I probably would have just foregoed even the thought process that to just use the God given ability to power through those moments versus it really helped me be centered and grounded in that foundation. And then I just kept building on that. And then I'd say, got my checkups a couple of times. He was like, you're progressing great. I didn't necessarily embellish like I'm training, but I said I was drilling, but you know, I was getting a light sparring in, but I knew what positions I could be in, what I didn't. So the symmetry kind of, I guess, practice of like work out this side of the body, this side will kind of catch itself up. So I did a lot of that and, you know, the only thing I may have been missing was the stamina rolls where you're actually getting in and getting in the sweat and really doing a lot of movement and activity to kind of get the heart rate and flow of that. But 
you know, all things considered, it was my best tournament to date. Granted, a little additive to that, you know, we continue to do the practice. You continue to give me guidance on the types of stretches and the things that kind of activate the knees, the glutes, the muscles in and around it, loosen up certain muscles to help provide that mobility. And then, you know, what motivated me too, granted, was I didn't tell a lot of people because, you know, my biggest thing to peeps is like, when you're onto something that's bigger than yourself or you're going to challenge yourself, move in silence. You don't need to share every post of I'm working out on the mats today or, you know, leaving workout or <laughs> look at what I'm drinking. And <clears throat> none of that shit matters. Like it only should matter to you and you should keep that focus on you. And yes, you might be excited and you want to share the world and, but, you know, there's a bit of vanity behind that. And there's also a bit of lack of confidence. Because if you're confident in what you're doing, go do it. Get it done and then speak all about it then. Um, bringing people along the journey, it, it could dissuade you. Because then people are liking, giving you a false sense of security. Or you're trying to get some sense of fulfillment. If you're not motivated in just the practice in itself, then you're not truly in it for the right reason. You need to get yourself out there. Move in silence. Go do what you got to do or you set your goal on, and then you speak on it. Then you share with the world. Then you can really attribute the journey and say, hey, man, this was an experience. And then then you can appreciate really what it was versus every day making a post about it. So I didn't tell a lot of people. I didn't tell family. I didn't tell friends. I didn't tell the jiu-jitsu peeps. Um, I told a small few because it was like, hey, if you can be out there, yeah, I would love to support. And it'd be a good weekend for us to all catch up and spend time. But then also that was kind of the motivation. My man David's going to be out there. My cousin Tanya just lost her dad. It's her birthday. She needed a reason to just get away. And then I had my family. Cool. That was just enough. And yeah, if I broadcast the world, maybe the next one, hey, everybody come out. Now I've done it. But since I never done it, I kind of kept it very close to chest. And then when we got there, you know, you know, I was just kind of, I got the jitters, the natural anxiety stuff. And, you know, and also I left Germany out for a business trip inflated. I was like 227 and I needed to be 222 and under in my gi, which is like five pounds. So I was like, wow, where did all this weight come from? And I was, and I trained out in Germany too. Yeah, um, all the flying around. Yeah. So it was just something that, you know, there's just moments along the way that you can't plan for. And you got to kind of embrace the situation and take the opportunity to see your way through it versus be pushed back about it. Be discouraged about it. Blame, you know, why me, you know, which is often the case versus, you know, it's just part of the journey. And, and I tell people victories don't always have to feel good. They don't because we hype victories up so much that then. You can't even recognize that's a win. That, yo, man, you got some weight to gain off. That's a win. It's going to make you work out. It's going to make you take ownership. And I think that's the most important thing is the accountability of that. In that moment, being able to turn on the accountability. You're not turning on excuses. You're not turning on, you know, dumb reasons. or pointing the finger at yourself or someone else. You just take the accountability and you move through it. And I think that's the benefit and the start of anything being responsible people think accountability has to be a oh i'm so horrible oh screw this i did this to myself oh there's no turning back i'm gone way too deep why did it start now oh, shut it all down and take the victory in that 
it's time to be accountable. I could be responsible for it. And and if you see that through, man, it, it's it's well, the thing. It's the magic. Well, and it's the self-talk, right? I mean, you just describe some people the self-talk they'll have with themselves and the way they talk to themselves, which I tell I tell people all the time. You know, if you talk to your if you talk to other people the way you talk to yourself, sometimes you probably wouldn't have any friends. Yeah, some people talk horribly to themselves. And, Big time. And, uh, not even aware sometimes. Yeah, and your words are energy, everybody. Everything that you're talking about to yourself, you're either lifting yourself up or you're beating yourself down or you're talking yourself out of opportunity in life. And, you know, what Sam's talking about is like all these things, he had plenty of reasons to quit. He had plenty of reasons just to say, like, now nah, I'm done. This isn't with it. But he took all of those and instead of just you know, folding and throwing in the towel, he said, where's the lesson in this? How am I going to grow? Okay, so let's do it. Let's see what happens. And you learned so many lessons out of that process of it, of just having to persist through all of this. You saw those as opportunities, which, again, it's the way you want to frame it, right? And There's I, a gift. There's a gift in that. Like is, you, and, and that's the gift. You go like, through I, it, you get to discover that gift. Yeah. You get through it. And and that even then, you know, you're not going to be perfect in every competition. Most cases, you're going to have some ailment. There's something in the way. And that's the perfect moment. It's just that's the moment was meant to be that way. And you just have to see it as that. Like most guys, even in the gym, oh, this finger's hurting. Oh, I got this pull muscle or this ailment here, this thing, or I don't feel good. And they think that's, all that has to check before they can go. And in real life, real things, no, nah, no, nah, man. It, it is perfect as it is. Well, We're they, here. You have an opportunity. Oh, yeah. yeah, but it's never the exact way you need it. And exactly. I love, I love it that you're talking about this, man, because it, I feel like so many people, they miss out on opportunities or they don't move forward when they should, right? Because it's like, oh, well, this isn't, the, the exact right time or well but this needs to be this way before i do that and and sometimes you just have to take the leap of faith man and like you're saying make yourself accountable and just say okay this situation isn't ideal but maybe this is what it needs to be because there's a lesson that needs to be learned and there's going to be a gift at the end of it and, yep. and it's kind of like what you were talking about at the beginning of the conversation you said you know if people sometimes would just sit with these things enough and look a little deeper that they, a lot of times that they would find those answers and your yep. decision-making. But and, and, and it ended up being the most incredible weekend in so many different ways, you know, oh, and, and buddy, just, the thing I love about this too, and I got, I got to bring this up is you got third, uh, you got thrown another curveball because in each of the tournaments Sam competed at, the max matches you did was what? Usually it's like two, which is enough. They're like six-minute matches. Imagine you're rolling with the 222 guy that probably was 230 that dropped weight, going at his full strength. Like, these guys are coming at you like a fight. And, and, then you, and you get how much of a break, though? You get what? You get minutes? like five to ten minutes, maybe. All right, so for our listeners, I don't know if you've ever grappled or done wrestling for five minutes straight, but it is one of the most exhausting things you can do. <laughs> so I had to, uh, we, we're at Masters and I'm watching Sam, and he did these five five minute rounds, right? 
they were five minutes, yep. And then they'd be done, but then he'd have maybe 10 minutes, and then he'd have to be back on the mat again, go another five minutes straight. And he had five matches he did in a row like this. So once he started his first match, he didn't get like an hour to like catch his breath. Like he had minutes to catch his breath between each match all the way to the finals. I remember you got off your fourth match and they like moved you to another table. And even they came up and they were getting ready to start. And they said, Hey, uh, they asked you a couple questions and they're like, Oh, we'll give you 10 minutes. And I think you got an extra 10 minutes, but you only really had like 15 minutes total. I maybe got. 10 barely because yeah, 10 total. another factor is if you didn't compete in an IBJJ throughout that year, you get placed. So I was already on the lower end of the bracket in the sense of rank, which means that I had to compete with all the best guys up front. Yeah, and so then, Sam wasn't it, you weren't seated at the top. You ended up the no. last two guys that you went against were the top two seeds. Yep. My third, well, first match was, uh, I was like ranked 21 of 30. First match was a number eight guy. Second match was a number, I think he was, and he won his match. I think he was like in the top 10 as well. Third match was a guy, the first ranked guy that had a bye for the first mm, match. So I fought true. two. He fought one. Right. And he, so he was just. He was fresh. You weren't. Yes. <laughs> then, the, then the fourth match was a guy that was probably on TRT, like yeah. CrossFit. Oh, yeah, crazy. that guy. I'm going to say it. Homeboy was roided out, but it, yeah, was, very, it he, was very obvious he was not natural. He was not, and and it didn't feel natural, so that was kind of a, a bit of another challenge. And, well, and, you had that, and, and the interesting thing, though, is he muscled and you didn't. I remember watching that match, and I thought, man, this guy's muscling his way. He thinks he's going to outmuscle you. And you just hung with the man, and you didn't muscle him back, and you ended up winning that match. Which is another thing, you know, just, again, the validation of, I'm changing, by the way, just going to get ready to coach jujitsu for the kids. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was another thing to be mindful of. Again, in practice, you don't need all that. And that's another thing that discourages people. It's like, man, I'm older. There's guys that's on roids and this and that. Uh, like, reality, there's, there's always an equalizer. There's always something that could put you in a winning spot at any moment of the match. He could get tired. You may not be. He may be stronger, but he, he's not going to flex five minutes straight. Well, and the reality of that match is what happened. He tried to flex for five minutes straight. He lost his head, and you didn't. And because he lost his head and you didn't, you beat him on points. Yep. And then, so you're... And I want our, our listeners to understand, Sam, if you didn't hear him, he was ranked 21 out of 30. So he had to work three times as hard to make his way up to the finals than anybody else that was seated earlier. These other guys got more time between matches to rest. Sam yep. basically had to do five matches in a row, work his way from the bottom of the brackets all the way to the top guy for the last match within an hour, probably. Yeah, it was like... Oh. Yeah, I mean, so, buddy, it was a beautiful thing just to watch that whole process, right? Um, and then Sam finished his second match, went head-to-head -head with this guy. This guy that he went with had already been pretty much fully rested. And he had a bye, too. He was yeah, so you're watching them get on the mat. Sam was still trying to catch his breath. This other guy had a bye. He just walks in on the mat. And honestly, man, 
you did amazing. Sam finished with silver, a silver podium finish. He, he got second uh, in his age range at Masters. And honestly, with everything we're talking about, buddy, amazing. I mean, amazing. I mean, just to get to the podium with everything that you had to deal with before that tournament uh, is amazing, buddy. And again, I've told you this, but it was beautiful to be there to watch you and just to see all your hard work and, and how it paid off for you and just to be part of that experience with you. Um, but again, man, like so many things today and we, and we got to wrap it up, bud, but so many things today. I mean, so many nuggets part of this. Yeah. From persistence. So there's the medal. So for our, our listeners, he's actually showing them big ass medal he won, but it was awesome. So it was an, yeah, it was neat for me to be part of his process, but Sam, thanks for sharing this with our listeners and, and helping them get so many nuggets today, man, from persistence to accountability to seeing opportunity in, in things that you consider maybe bad or discouraging or things that you could give up on and actually maybe seeing the opportunity. You gave so many nuggets to our listeners, man. So thank you so much uh, for coming on and just hanging out. And I wish Nick could have hung out a little bit longer, but he probably had to jump on with another patient. Yeah, we could do it again, man. This is just like friend talking. Yeah. You know, thank you for the opportunity. Love you unconditionally, my brother. Love you too. Um, and you being out there was a, a, a even greater impact in the sense of, yeah, you know, you helped me maintain the mindset, the breathing, staying centered. We're exchanging energy across the mat. And just having you guys there um, really empowered me to kind of, tap into a space that honestly I wish I had this when we were back in the athlete times, but you know, I'll embrace it. Freddie, even better. We're, we're in our forties. It means more now than it does back then. It because does. Look at what you accomplished in your forties with everything else you have to take care of and responsibilities in life. I mean, it's, it's awesome, buddy. So beautiful. I mean, just beautiful to just watch the greatness and just see you doing your thing. And, and I hope that our listeners today got a lot out of just hearing about that journey. It takes a village. And definitely, if you guys are listening, you know, again, I'll, I'll say it again and again and again. And for the rest of my life, this gentleman, <laughs> this soul, this spirit is, is really the, the, if you want to call it success. But he's definitely been a very impactful part of this journey and continues to be. Um, and I have so much love for him and his family, his beautiful wife, my godson, Nick. Pleasure finally meeting you. And definitely we'll, we'll see each other again and spend some time. And, you know, yeah, you know, I hope hope the share was, was meaningful. Um, and, you know, stay, stay tuned for what this young man is doing in life and, and doing for people. It's, it's miracle work honestly and and couldn't do it without you and i love you so much and thank you and very grateful and appreciative to have spent these 20 years of life with you it's been invaluable right back at you buddy i love you too man thanks for listening if you enjoyed today's podcast please be sure to subscribe to the dr dads and share with your family and friends you can also follow and interact with dr nick and dr david on facebook and instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness be well.